what does it mean to live with less stuff and more compassion? That's the question we aim to answer every week on the Minimalist Vegan Podcast. Hello, my name is Michael and I'm joined by my wife, Marsha, every week to discuss the intersection of minimalism, veganism, sustainability, productivity, and a whole bunch of other topics in addition to weekly articles and recipes, all of which you can find on our website, theminimalistvegan.com. So check it out if you haven't already. In this episode, we're talking about the future of minimalism. It's got a trendiness to the terminology. So we thought it'd be interesting to discuss the sustainability of minimalism as a lifestyle. And specifically in this episode, we talk about you know, where minimalism has come from, uh, where it is today, and some reasons for and against the future of minimalism. It was a really fun conversation to reflect on and philosophize about, and we think that there's actually a lot of interesting takeaways that we got from this conversation. So, hope you enjoy it, and I'll check in after the discussion to fill in any gaps. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We're really excited about today's podcast episode where we're going to be talking about the future of minimalism Ooh. and what that might <laughs> <laughs> and what that might look like. And it's been an interesting one to actually research because when you live in your little bubble, you don't really think about what the future of a, of a movement looks like. Mm. You just know that you live that lifestyle and that's that. And you try and inspire others to do the same. But as we were digging around, we kind of had to go back to go forward as well. Mm. And we've talked about this in the past. So we'll just quickly touch on where minimalism comes from and then get into sort of where the rise in the minimalist movement came about and where we saw the spike in it. and, And then talk about the six reasons why minimalism continues to actually grow, which is really exciting. It just might not be in the way that we perceive it. Yes. So before we get into the future, let's let's take a step back into the past and talk a little bit about where has minimalism come from? Sure. Yeah, and look, th- just before I touch on that, I think it's, it's really interesting to look at veganism and minimalism together. And I don't know, I don't think we even felt compelled to even talk about the future of veganism. Mm. There feels this feels like there's a lot of certainty around that movement. Yeah, uh, it's it's. I think it's well and truly past the point of being considered as a trend. Well, but, it's something that's very evident and obvious on the news, in social media, even in the supermarkets. Yes. like and more brands that are coming out in Start-ups, fashion, and yeah, so it's much more evident that that's where the future is. Yes, and in and documentaries, I- and yeah. And I think that's why minimalism is more interesting as we've got a kookaburra in the background. I don't know if the audio is going to pick that up. In country Australia. Well, (laughs) (laughs) let's just roll with it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I think the the future of minimalism is a lot more debatable in terms of the concept. And and I think, yeah, because I think it really starts with where it came from. And I think officially it was minimalism was used as a term in art concepts in 1929 that's when i think somebody actually said you yeah, know this is this is minimalist art i think it's the first time somebody ever said it but then it really started to explode in the 1950s and 60s to define art and design concepts uh, with a particular aesthetic now minimalism as a lifestyle as we talk about it often is a little bit less clear in terms of how that became to be I suppose I was first introduced to minimalism around the late to like, like, you know, around 2008, 2009 is probably when I first heard about it. Um, And I think really the internet is responsible for shaping the movement as a lifestyle. And and a lot of bloggers um, who were talking about simple living started to use this term minimalism to define a way to live. And so it was really around the mid 2000s that this started to get a bit of momentum as a lifestyle. And then, but I should also say that minimalism is not like it's a completely new concept. You know, this idea of living with less or um, trying to remove any, anything that's unnecessary or non-essential from your life. I mean, this is this has been around since the beginning of 
human existence, really. Mm. Um, the idea of living more simply um, and sort of fighting against consumerism. And it's interesting because probably obviously going back to the the Stone Ages and when people really didn't have money, they were living very minimalist lives because they didn't have, you know, technology wasn't progressive. Well, there was no technology really. There was more in the craftsmanship and machines and all of that sort of stuff, but not as we, we know it today. Yep. So a lot of people were living very simply. Mm. As they do now when you go to sort of remote areas of the world, that's how most people used to live back in the day. Mm. Like I'm talking two, three hundred years ago or probably even sooner. But it's that concept was never coined anything. I think it was just the way that everybody lived. Yeah, absolutely. I think access to resources and um, not as much capitalism and not as much available at our disposal has mm. a huge influence in that. And I think as well, I mean, the concepts of, of, of simple living is embedded in a lot of religions, uh, Buddhism, Christianity, and a lot of other, I suppose, philosophies mm. um, really talk about these concepts. So this is nothing new. It's just that... We're going back to how things used to be, I think, a little bit more. More of the tribal... Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think there's definitely a desire to to experience that level of simplicity, mm. um, which we'll touch on a bit later. But I think the what, what really seemed to push minimalism into the mainstream, you know, it's still considered to be quite a niche sort of term and concept. But I think with the minimalist documentary, so it's called Minimalism, a documentary about important things by the, the two folks behind the, the minimalist.com. Um, who were long-time bloggers before producing this film about minimalism. And this came out, I believe, around 2016. And when you look at Google Trends, so the sheer amount of search volumes around the term minimalism, it had steady growth from the mid-2000s to 2016, and then it just completely spiked up. Uh, it exploded uh, in terms of popularity when you look at the trend graph. And I think a lot of that is attributed to this documentary because this documentary, whilst it was initially kind of like an indie film, mm. um, it, got, it got eventually got distribution to Netflix. Mm. And obviously, so many users of Netflix then had access to watch this documentary about minimalism. And that was really the, the time where I started to see people that I knew who weren't exposed to this type of living or this this concept who are now talking about it. Yeah. They were saying, like, have you seen the minimalist documentary? Have you heard about these guys? Uh, it's really interesting. Now I know what your blog's about. I kind of get it now. Mm. Um, so that kind of... It's a conversation ha- starter. Absolutely. So that kind of had its time in 2016 and then it sort of tapered off. But overall, it stayed fairly steady in terms of the, the trends of the search volume. So that's kind of where we are today. So minimalism is well and truly quite popular. I think, you know, the terminology is used loosely with decluttering. And I think sometimes the two get mixed up. But then you've got obviously Marie Kondo and the work she's done with her book and obviously a Netflix show and now a retail store I hear. Um, But that's also sort of given more awareness to minimalism, even though they're not exactly the same thing. But I think we're in a really interesting time to see that, okay, well, you know, th- there's a there's a level of trendiness mm. about this term minimalism. Like mm. it just feels trendy. Um, and we just sort of wonder what's the staying power of it, yeah. you know, uh, as a lifestyle. Well, it's interesting because as you were saying about the spike in 2016 when the documentary came out, it has since stabilized. So it's not like it's going up all the time. Yeah. It has increased definitely since before, mm. but it's stabilized. So it's doubled now in search volume or popularity, yep. but it ha- it hasn't spiked again yeah. or grown, grown since then. Yeah. So I think... The more people are aware of the lifestyle, they're also a little bit weary of it because of the terminology. And even though there's no rules, like there's this underlying sort of representation of what people can expect from it. Yeah. 
So that's a really interesting. Um, and, we, and, and, you know, to prove this, we, we asked our audience on uh, Instagram. Yeah. You know, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of minimalism? And, and really, it was uh, quite a few responses, but split down the middle. Uh, well, about 40% of people sort of associated it with design. Yeah. So it's origins. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think of Scandinavia or Japanese design, um, that type of feel. Space. Um, that space. It's yeah. like a it's like a visual that you get when you mm -mm. think of the term minimalism. Mm. And then you had probably 60% of our audience were more about um, peace and calm and uh, simplicity and intentionality space, freedom. and space, freedom. Yeah. So you, you can see how design and lifestyle sort of intersect even when you first think of this term mm. minimalism. But you're right, it's a, it's a polarizing concept mm. and uh, it seems somewhat unattainable. Mm. Um, and of course, there's no clearly defined rules around it in terms of how much you should own or what the parameters are for design. Um, it's quite ambiguous. So... Uh, people don't know how to measure their progress towards a minimalist lifestyle, mm. um, which we've talked about at length in the Owning Your Identity episode, which I think is episode 31, but we'll link to it in the show notes as well. But, you know, this this whole identity crisis around people believing that they're a minimalist feels too polarizing, right? Because it's, it opens up yourself to judgment of like, you know, if you're not portraying a minimalist lifestyle, based on what people perceive a minimalist lifestyle to be, then they will judge you for not being minimalist enough. And then yeah. therefore people don't fully commit mm. to the identity of a minimalist. Yeah. So we'll talk about more, more about that later, sure. but let's get into the six reasons why minimalism continues to grow. Like what, where are the facts and what is it sort of, if we look at lifestyle in general and what we're the trends that we're seeing, like where is it going? Yeah. Well, I think the, obviously what's front of mind for a lot of people and particularly people listening to this podcast, I imagine the majority of you are thinking about sustainability and the future of our planet. And I think that's where minimalism is playing quite a large role and where minimalism is used as a tool because obviously people are reviewing their consumption habits and, yeah. you know, excessive consumerism often will more or less result in more waste, right? And again, that's that's evident in, in retail. You know, more people are trying to get a plastic bag ban um, put into place, you know, or having to purchase them using reusable bags for your shopping, uh, buying like supermarkets now stock bamboo toothbrushes and more eco-friendly products. And so it, it is definitely, they've obviously noticed that there is a demand for that. And they're going with it, you know, like they obviously need to make money and they're seeing that, that that's what consumers want. So that's the direction that they're heading in. Yeah. And then as a result, people are being a lot more mindful about what what it is that they're consuming. Yeah. So they're, they're opting to support these more sustainable products, mm. um, which is, I suppose, in part related to minimalism because you know, these sustainable products are becoming essential. They're becoming the, the, the things that people are seeking out to support mm. uh, and, and kind of eliminate all of the other really wasteful and detrimental type of products and consumer goods. But at the same time, people are also trying to actually reduce how much they're consuming in general. Yeah, so they're questioning. This is, you know, another great minimalist principle is that they're actually questioning before they purchase the item and, you know, things like what will the life cycle of this product be before they even purchase it so that they can think, well, can I maybe do without this instead of just mm. buying aimlessly? Yes. Yeah, I think you touched on a really good point. It's like, can I do without this now, mm. right? You know, can I continue to get as much as I can out of the current shoes that I have or the current vehicle that I have or um, can I patch up my socks? Can I, you know, people are finding ways to consume less, yeah. um, you know, to protect the environment. So I think minimalism is playing a huge role in that. Mm. And that's probably a, huge, a big reason why it continues to grow. The next topic, do you have anything else to add on that part? No, I think you've covered it off quite well. I guess the next point that we wanted to talk about was personal finance. And you've done a little bit of research around this. So looking forward to hearing yeah, well, I think there's two parts to personal fi finance, right? There's the 
uh, is using minimalism to um, reduce your debt or is using minimalism to increase your personal wealth? And there's two sort of trends that we're seeing. And uh, I'm using US uh, for an example because it's probably one of the largest markets when it comes to personal finance. But um, in quarter four last year, so quarter four 2019, household debt is the highest it's ever been at over $14 trillion, which is just an obscene amount of debt mm. at a individual level. Mm. Um, now, if you look at the breakdown of this, the majority of the debt is coming from mortgages, which makes sense at $9 trillion. Um, We're talking about trillions of dollars That's here. That's crazy. <laughs> and then after that, you've got $1.5 trillion in student loans and $1 which trillion again in is credit crazy. cards. I would have thought credit cards were higher than student loans, but... I suppose that's just the educational structure of the US. Mm. So, um, in certain countries, that would be zero. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, with with such a huge growth in debt uh, at an individual level, uh, I think there's more conversations happening about you know how to get to a debt free lifestyle. Yeah. Right. At least you can still have a mortgage, but maybe reduce credit cards, personal loans, student loans, that type of stuff. Mm. Um, you know, from a an ability to have more freedom and flexibility in your life. So I think minimalism continues to grow to fight against that trend of increased debt. Well, I think people are just starting to wake up and go, I don't want to be in debt for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, I don't want to have to have a mortgage for the next 30, 40 years yes. or have these student loans hanging over my head yeah. for the next 20, 30 years. Or even years. personal loans. I mean, we talked yeah. about this in our Minimalist Money episode, but like I look back at reasons why we got in debt. Mm. It, it was really, it was like just buying like furniture and motorbikes going on holidays. and going on holidays. It's like if we were practicing minimalism, we would have, had a bit more discipline to say mm. no to some of those purchases mm. um, or delay them or save delay for them, it first exactly. delay yeah. gratification and all of that jazz <laughs> patience or oh, that word patience so it's um yeah it just goes to show that consumer behavior is is minimalism is like making it more appealing to make those decisions rather mm. than just wanting everything all the time mm. right i'll just put it on my credit card and then the other thing is... I'll uh, deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. Well, I can pay it off. I've got a good job. Yeah. Um, and then there's the FI movement. So if you haven't heard of this before, so FI is an and acronym. I, I didn't actually. Oh, really? Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, That's only it. recently though. Only in the last six months of, um, as I've been learning more about personal finance. So FIRE is an acronym for financial independence and retiring early. And this was really pioneered by the millennial generation. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole idea is to save as much money as possible, live really frugally. So again, a bit of minimalism there. So you can, any excess money that you save, you put into investments like in stocks and balanced portfolios and all of this stuff. Right? So you're super intentional with how you spend your money Absolutely. or invest your money. Yeah. And these guys are pouring, like they're getting good salary jobs and they're pouring like stupidly high amounts of their money of their salary into investments yeah like they're living with their parents they're um you know they're buying in bulk they're like they're they're typically people who would have been living extravagant lifestyles are choosing to live incredibly minimalist lifestyles to be able to save all this money into investments so that they can eventually just live off the returns early and some people are retiring in their mid-30s or early 40s um, off their investment portfolios. Which is interesting because for me, like, and I'm quite ignorant to this whole investment thing, especially with the stock market and everything. Mm. I find it quite a risky thing. Like you could lose it all. Yeah. So can you just talk a little bit about how like, because you know, obviously a bit, yep. bit more about this. Like yep. where is the safety net of people putting their money into this rather than just putting it into a bank account or taking out the cash and like stashing uh, it somewhere safely? Right, right. Well, look, I mean, if you look at your um, superannuation or I think the, uh, the Europe might call it pension, America might call it a 401k. So I'm just trying to be quite universal in my terminology yeah, yeah. here. But obviously your retirement, um, the money that you put aside for your retirement uses the same model, right? Mm. So where's that money going? So if you're contributing 9 to 15% of your salary every fortnight to mm. these superannuation funds, they're actually investing in markets. So they're investing 
in sometimes really detrimental industries like oil and um and things like that but they might be getting investment in technology stocks and things like that but what they're trying to do but is it more risky like with something like that it's the same thing right so what they're trying to do is they're trying to balance the risk with the industry so they're saying that okay if i invest in um in tech stocks versus resources stocks versus um food or whatever like there's all these markets perform at different times and over a 20 year period, sure, there might be a loss in one year or two years, but then there might be growth in others. So then like the balance of that might still be a bit of a growth. So you've got stockbrokers and professionals, which is their job Mm. to get a return. Mm. Right. And they're saying that, you know, it might be a 5% return on investment versus sticking your money into a uh, savings account, which might be like a 1% return then it's going to be better to use a stock portfolio, right? But they're protecting their risk with the types of stocks, with the diversity of the stocks, because every industry is going up and down at different times, right? And I think it would be smart at this point to invest in vegan stocks because i mean it's a growing industry (laughs) but i'm just thinking practically with such a growing market or something or you're talking about no just like uh businesses that are doing well in the vegan industry yeah there's actually i was it's interesting you say this just um a few like last week i was reading up on um a new a new fund um, oh, I forgot what the terminology is called, but it's a it's a type of stock that includes multiple investments in it, right? So you buy one share, mm. but you're actually I think it's like a mutual fund. Sorry, correct me if I'm wrong for the personal finance experts out there. Um, but it's actually a stock that if you buy it, it's actually in the back end, it's investing in multiple different companies and stocks itself, right? Okay. And this one is a it's the first ever vegan okay. vegan specific stock. Right. Um actually let me just quickly look it up to get the terminology right. Yeah. Okay, here it is. Okay, so I found found it. So it's called an ETF. So it's an exchange traded fund. So in short, it's an investment fund that lets you buy a large basket of individual stocks or bonds in one purchase. Okay. And then there's a vegan ETF. Again, we're not sponsoring yeah, yeah, no, no. this content. It's just interesting. No, no. And this is like part of our little activism as well. Like in invest- Because I just think like ethical investing is is a growing market. It should be anyway. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a new vegan themed uh, ETF stock that's hit the New York Stock Exchange. So Is that um, the first one? Yes, yeah, the first one. It came out last year. And um, yeah, so you can you can now buy this vegan ETF, which is really exciting. It'll be interesting like, like to see the like growth. Like you can buy a technology stock. Like if you were to buy Amazon stocks or whatever, you can buy this vegan stock. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the whole job of, of the people behind who are managing that portfolio is to grow it and get a return mm. on investment on that. But the, the whole idea is that knowing that you can potentially grow your investment whilst mm. avoiding investing in those detrimental industries yeah right that align with so you your feel good at where you're putting yeah. your money yeah exactly so anyway bringing it back so yes. the Sorry fire movement <laughs> is about yeah okay saving as much as you can of your salary so you can invest into these portfolios and retire as early as possible so as a result they are living minimalist lifestyles so if you haven't checked it out already a really cool YouTube channel we quite enjoy going to uh, and watching quite a bit is called Exploring Alternatives. And um, they have quite a few examples of people who are living this lifestyle and using concepts of minimalism to be able to do that. Yeah. Right? Um, it's it's pretty full on though. Like they're, mm. they're, they're living really frugally to be able to save yeah. money. So. See, this for me, like, I mean, they they still do experience things in life, but just having this constant reminder in the back of your head and this is where for me i would struggle with constantly in in a way living for the future yeah well you're not being present and enjoying right now there might be to a degree but that to me is deprivation yes um so i would really struggle with that type of lifestyle thinking yes i want to return retire younger but i'm not actually really interested in retiring Mm. 
because well, if you get I a lot of enjoy what you're doing. Then, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's not for everyone, but there are obviously benefits depending on what you do for yeah. for a living as well. And maybe know? people want to work towards that so they feel like they have more choice of how they can spend their time. Yeah, and they can start their own business with you know little to no risk involved. Yeah, and they've got that that money coming in anyways. Correct. So yeah, that's a good point. So now moving on to personal computing, which mm. is something that's obviously exploded in the last couple of decades. So there's a lot of things that we've managed to eliminate mm. out of our lives, even in the last decade, like who still buys DVDs? Does, My dad. <laughs> yeah, people buy DVDs, yeah. Um, and it's it's just interesting how there are just things that you thought were going to stick around forever that are now completely obsolete mm. because of technology mm. and because of, you know, everyone has, most people have this really powerful device that they carry on them most of the time. Yeah. Well, I and I think that, I don't know, like do you remember when we first started The Minimalist Journey, how enthusiastic I was about technology? Mm as a result to achieve a minimalist lifestyle. Well, I remember one of the first things that I did mm. was scan all of our paperwork. Right. Yeah. It took me a few days and I think I'd... Yeah, you went through like a weekend and just did it. And two boxes, two plastic tubs full of paper that I managed to recycle. The amount of paper that we carry with us. Like now I have maybe a few pages mm. that I carry with me that are like things that we need physical copies of because we don't have a printer anymore mm. that we need to be able to to give or we want the originals of. Yeah. But other than that, everything else is digital. And let's think about what households used to look like. And maybe they still do. Some of them still do. But mm. I remember like going into most households, it was like the dining table turned into a dumping ground for paperwork yeah receipts um, just and registration papers mm, and mm. all of this stuff and a lot of uh, government services are going electronic as well yeah but i get frustrated when i buy a consumer good and i get a physical receipt like mm. it's like can't they just email it to me like mm. so it's it's but times have changed and you're right it's like when we started that minimalist journey technology was a huge uh, had a huge influence on that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've written a few articles about, you know, going paperless or, um, you know, putting all your tasks in the cloud or calendar management, uh, which we'll link to on the show notes. But, yeah, technology has enabled that freedom. I mean, not only the paperwork, but we ripped a lot of CDs and DVDs yeah. uh, into our iTunes software to get rid of the physical copies. Mm. Um, you know, I think All the DVDs just went... And we were, yeah. and then we became really intentional about the books that we kept. We're yeah, like, what are we actually going to? But there's a resurgence in physical books. Like I think yeah. um, it's interesting. Even if you look at like our book, mm. the book sales, I would have thought that when we we published that, that the digital would have outsold mm. the paperback. Yeah, but it's been the opposite. Yeah. So it, it's it's clear that uh, like with book culture, it's maybe a bit different. Mm. But I remember when I first became minimalist. I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to ever read a physical book again. But, you know, there's still that experience that it creates for you. And it's interesting because there are so many blogs out there that do recipes and you've got Pinterest. You've got so many opportunities online. Yep. Yet people still buy cookbooks for sure. all the time yep. as presents for themselves. Like the biggest book collection that we have is cookbooks. Yes. Because there's something and especially if you love to, to touch and to feel and to bookmark and to go through it and read and learn a little bit about the background story and, you know, kind of it, it just creates a completely different experience. And yep. not mind you, I think I've got maybe seven cookbooks all up. So it's not that, you know, we're always very intentional with what we do use and what we do keep. But the fact that that's still plays a role when I know like I'm on Pinterest every day mm. and I write recipes every week. So for someone that does that to still admire and enjoy physical cookbooks, yeah. I find quite interesting. Yeah, it's a, that tangible experience. But I, I don't want to play down the fact that like, you know, if, if you are, you know, downsizing your life and living in a studio apartment or a tiny house or, um, 
where you you don't have much space mm. um and every wall every cabinet uh every closet everything matters a lot technology can be really critical in that role to save that space to mm. to reduce clutter in your environment so i think with technology continuing to evolve it's going to just help that minimalist movement continue mm. to grow as well mm. moving on to the next point would be about the way that people want to live like the desired outcomes of simplicity and what mm. that actually looks like for somebody talk a little bit about that like where where things are going in that regard yeah well i think it's um you know we just talked about technology and uh how it helps minimalism in terms of physical possessions but it seems to have the opposite effect when it comes to simplicity mm. all right because first of all we're just moving physical objects into the into a digital screen so yeah. we're not like the clutter's not gone per se uh we've just changed the location of it but then beyond that we've got access to information at our fingertips mm. to stimulation to to um what other people are doing in their lives and and, and this whole save later, I'll read that article later, I'll look at that recipe later, you know, like all social medias have that save it button yeah. so that you can when you have the time, which never happens most yeah. of the time for me. I know I save things and I totally forget that I actually put it somewhere to yeah. look at later unless it's a particular topic that I know I'll be coming back to soon. Mm. Mm. Otherwise, it just gets buried and that is also clutter. Yeah, it is. And it's it's added complexity in our in our well being, in our brain capacity. Mm, it's mm. uh there's so much going on. Mm. Uh there's so much information to take in. World issues, financial strain. You know, it's there's complexity everywhere you look. And and because of the information overload. And and I think more than ever people are wanting to try and disconnect from that. Mm. Are, are trying to seek more offline simple mm. experiences and a way of living and because i guess the beauty of technology is is that you can switch it off and walk away from it you can close your laptop screen you can put your phone down and walk off you know it's not yep. that it's a physical clutter as such it's all within that one device yeah you you're not looking at piles and piles of things that are visually disrupting yep. you so that's where the difference is and i think that Yes, we do have clutter in technology, but you can much easier disconnect from it as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's a it's harder to because it's designed to draw you draw in. Draw you and in and, and, and then it, it creates this this epidemic of mental clutter, right? It's mm. this and, and mental clutter is not this technology, it's just expectations of yourself and uh, and we talked about this in a previous episode which we'll link to as well but the ongoing fight for simplicity it's so easy to add complexity to your life mm. to add things and i think that's what the big fight is moving forward and i think we all close our eyes and and you know as as people said in our audience from instagram you know minimalism represents peace space calm um simplicity these type of things so we want it we think about it but it's becoming more and more unattainable yeah. uh, because of the way things are set up, the way society is set up. So I think minimalism is going to have staying power purely based on our desire for simplicity. And decluttering or removing the unnecessary is a really great starting point as a pathway to simplicity. Mm. And you know less I mean? anxiety and yep. just being more mindful of how you spend your time. Correct. Yeah. And there's a couple more that we want to go through and this one's obviously quite close to our hearts in a way because we've we've fought for this <laughs> for a while uh, yeah, now, yes. which is flexible work and, you know, remote work and working from wherever you can so that you can live the life that you want. So I guess with, we've been talking about technology and the internet and obviously this is one of the great benefits of the internet that is that allowed us to work remotely and created so many more job opportunities for people that once was not an option. Yep. So, and something that I was digging around a little bit and, and realized that, um, you know, people even just searching the term 
remote work has tripled in search over the last four really? years. Yeah. Wow. So, um, and that's month on month growth. Yep. So it's interesting to see how that's trending up. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it makes sense, right? You've got the internet as a resource and you've got, you know, parents of newborns entering the workplace, reconsidering what it means to spend more time at home with their kids. Mm. And if there is a chance to work remotely, even in their current jobs, yeah, um, there's a lot more tech startups and companies that exist in the world where mm. they're trying to source the best talent. It doesn't mm. matter where you are. Yeah. In fact, they actually want, like, you know, I know a lot of um, tech companies have customer support specifically in different countries to address the time zones of their customer base. Yeah. So they want people in Europe and Australia and America so they can make sure that they've got 24 seven support for their customer base yeah. and everyone's working from their laptops at home. Mm. So, you know, you've got virtual assistants, you've got, um, you know, obviously content creators and, you know, all of this stuff is, is happening because of the internet and people obviously with what you just said, the search terms are going up because people are recognizing it's possible. They can avoid the excessive costs and time of commuting to work. Mm. Some people spend hours a day just commuting to work every day mm. um, and getting that time back with their family. So, um, yeah, I think, but to be able to do this, I think people are willing to compromise on their lifestyle. They're willing to live with less and to be more intentional. And that's, again, where minimalism comes into play. Like, I think even in our situation, like, if it wasn't for minimalism, we would not been able to make this lifestyle work. You know mm. what I mean? Like, it we are living with a lot less than what we used to yeah. Um, in a, an excessive lifestyle that we used to live, but it's given us f- a different type of freedom, mm. right? Um, but, you know, it's not like we're living extravagantly. Like, we're, you know, it's, it, it's hard at times. Mm. But the mindset is to, to really only have the essentials. Mm. Um, and, we, and I think a lot of people are willing to make that trade-off to earn less money yeah. and to live within their means if it means just to have that flexibility to be with their family, to to work in a like travel around the country in a van, like yeah. van life movement is increasing, to you know, or to just be nomadic and travel the world and, mm. and be able to earn an income as well. Mm. And I think it's interesting because rather than waiting until you retire to do a lot of these things, you're doing it much, much earlier and sort of having those dreams that you think you're going to have to wait 20, 30 years for actually making them a reality much sooner. For sure. So that's that's really interesting and, you know, that whole thing of being able to live where you want and sort of putting affirmations out there and for any of you that sort of <laughs> understand what I'm talking about, um, you know, and manifesting that much sooner Yes. than what you would have if you waited until – you could retire earlier, but that would be like 10, 20 years down the track. Yes. So, but it's, it, the conversation starts with asking those questions like, well, what can we do with and without? Yes. And going from there, like what's my enough? Yes. Yeah. So that's really Love interesting. It. The last topic that I guess we wanted to cover in these six reasons why minimalism continues to grow is this concept that minimalism has become a strong brand and mm. that so many people base their inspiration from looking at other blogs, YouTube channels, you know, books, podcasts and all of that sort of stuff to um, get Maybe you can just say that, you know, like there's people, you know, this desire for simplicity uh, in culture has sparked a whole sort of revolution of people creating content and professions around minimalism. How about you say that? So the last topic we wanted to talk about when it comes to the six reasons why minimalism continues to grow. Yep is the whole idea that minimalism has become a really strong brand in itself. Yeah, like it's, I mean, if you think about many of our desires to live a simple life, you know, I think what happens when there's such a strong desire and you've got a concept like minimalism, uh, rightly or wrongly, people see that as an opportunity, right? Mm. And, And as a result, you have 
more books than ever written on minimalism. You've got blogs, podcasts, YouTube channels. You've got magazines. You've got all these different types of media coming out um, talking about this lifestyle because you know people recognize that there's an opportunity. Yeah. And 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 with more content coming out about the lifestyle means that more people are going to know about it. They're going to mm. tell their friends about it. And it could be another reason why it continues to grow. Yeah. Just a sheer amount of content that's coming out. I mean, we saw a big spike again in minimalism in, in, in search terms in 2016 because of the documentary that came out. And, you know, is that going to be the only documentary? There could be more content that comes out that continues to spike the movement over time. Um, it just depends how the audiences respond to that. I mean, um, I guess there is there is documentary about documentaries about minimalism out there already. They just haven't hit the mainstream. Yeah, yeah, yes. like that one has. Yeah, of course. yeah, yes, no doubt there are other documentaries yeah. out there. So, and then the other thing as well is is there's actual professions coming out of this. Like I remember being uh, interviewed on the local radio station about minimalism, uh, and I was on a panel with a hoarder. And a um, organizer, and an organizer. And mm. I'm like, I didn't. Maybe that profession's been around for a long time, yeah. Um, in one way or another. But this person, her job was to um, help people organize and declutter their homes, particularly if they had, um, you know, issues around hoarding and, and keep and your know, emotional attachment to things, right? So, um, even that, I, I again, I assume that profession's been around for a while. But I think with the growth of minimalism there's been even more people creating an actual job mm. to help people step by step yeah. make decisions and what they should keep and what they should get rid of. Because yeah. um, let's face it, it can be overwhelming, especially if you're a hoarder. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, we touched on this before, but design. Mm. So design in, in fashion, home, industrial technology like so many different um like property like so many different industries cars i can keep going on and on and on and on are integrating minimalism as a design philosophy Mm. um because they understand that's what people want and they can position their products quite often as more premium which we need to discuss that in the future episode about minimalism being used to actually sell us more products which is really fascinating you marsh actually recognized this in the research for this um particular episode you know again our audience kept telling us when they think of minimalism they think of companies like like ikea or swedish swedish design or japanese design like a retail company like muji or a tech company like apple where everything is you know feels done with intention yes it's 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 just ruthless in terms of what they're including in their products and how it looks. And that's really attractive. So if that continues to grow and we as consumers continue to desire that type of design, that is type of aesthetic, mm. then minimalism is probably going to continue to grow as well. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. And I think there will be more and more brands and more and more countries that become iconic because of their concepts of minimalism and how they implement it into architect, like, you know, have sites and places where people come and observe these masterpieces that have been created yeah. with simple lines. Well, and- it's become a competitive advantage because complexity is easy, mm. right? So if complexity is easy and everybody is just adding things to their products mm. and making it confusing for users because there's too much stuff going on. How, how many times has anyone used something and it's like overwhelming because it's just too too much? Like it's so hard to get something to be really simple. Because the, the companies probably also have this fear of missing out. Like, oh, well, we need to service, you know, this one percenter of, of a particular, I don't know what the product would be, but they want to make sure that they over service and that they over supply the customer yeah. for every possible scenario. Yeah, because it's scary to... Take away a feature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. Like even when we look at our website, we've simplified it over the years. Yeah. But it's been like scary. Mm. Like it's scary to remove something from our menu Mm. um, or something on our homepage um, for simplicity. For sure. Yeah. So we touched on this earlier, but I want to bring it back into the conversation about 
how people feel uncomfortable calling themselves minimalists. And I've certainly been there. Mm. I've certainly had experiences and this feeling of I've labeled myself as a minimalist. I run a business that's around minimalism, but because there are no, no rules around it, will I get judged of how other people perceive this lifestyle to be? And I find that really fascinating as much as I'm not someone to like rules, but in some situations you almost feel like you want there to be a universal understanding of what something is so that there is no confusion or extremist uh, perception of it in some ways as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, now we're talking about the, you know, arguing against minimalism's growth, like uh, arguing arguing to see, arguing for minimalism just being a trend. And you're right, I think this ambiguity of the definition of minimalism as a lifestyle is creating a lot of pressure for people. And therefore, if if they find the concept to be too polarizing to identify themselves as a minimalist, then they may not use the terminology anymore, mm. right? Because as soon as you draw the line in the sand and say, I'm a minimalist, then um, people might put a lot of pressure on themselves to uphold a particular aesthetic or a particular viewpoint to be in line with what they've said. And if they're fearful of that, then they're not going to use mm. the term. It's like when you when I sometimes feel like as soon as I say I'm a minimalist, I've literally just put a target on my back to have everything that I do micro-analyzed. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were a minimalist though. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. like the, the... But like sometimes said seriously, other times said as a joke, but at the same time, they do mean what they're saying. Yeah. Oh, gee, I thought so, you were minimalist. That's not very minimalist of you. But so we like, did... Again, we don't get this in veganism. Oh, that's not very vegan of you. It's like, no, it's like you, you, you either... Support animal exploitation well, or you yeah, don't. Well, you consume stuff made from animals or you don't. So it's yeah. very black and white. So I think that's definitely going to be an issue for... Like, I think the design philosophy of minimalism has a greater chance of being sustainable than the lifestyle, mm. purely based on that identity issue, mm. right? Because I think everyone can objectively, somewhat objectively say that that's a minimalist design mm. or aesthetic. Yeah. But... They sh- we struggle objectively to say that person's a minimalist yeah, and they live a minimalist lifestyle. Or if the person is a minimalist, I think there's a lot of minimalists out there that don't actually the use court, that yeah, particular term. Yeah, you correct. know, they just live with intention and they go, oh, I never realized that's what... How many times have we heard that from our audience? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize, but I suppose I am a minimalist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or people that we know yeah, as well that we've sure. met along our journey. So it's just interesting with um So like if the rules this... if there was were universal rules. Mm. Like and the thing is we see it all the time. People try to create rules for minimalism mm. because they hate they hate the uncertainty of not having structure, right? So mm. you go on a minimalist Facebook group and people are like, Okay, what's in your purse? And then everyone will take a picture of their purse clutter, right? to see how many things or items they have in their purse. So everyone else can go, oh, that's an example of someone who's a minimalist. Yeah. Who's got six things in their purse. So Mm. I should have six things in their purse. Like we're all trying to manufacture. Mm. But it's also that inspiring. Yes. Like, okay, I haven't thought about having this like this. So I can probably do without these certain things. Yeah. But and that can be really positive, actually. It can be really encouraging and yeah. And it gives you some sort of structure. Um, mm. it can also be really negative. Mm. There could be a lot of comparison and like, oh, that's not like, yeah, that's too many things. Mm. That's too many things you and have And again, there, it or... depends. Like, are you looking at a purse of a woman, for instance, that has four kids, small children, you yes. know, she'll be carrying a lot more in her purse than a single woman, yep. for instance. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, if, <laughs> if you're talking on principle levels, yeah, then yeah. that's where that's where the comparison is there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I think it's, um, you know, if there were rules, 
it would be more drawing a line in, in how many possessions um, you have. And I think that in itself can spark a um, healthy relationship with your things and minimalism. But that, that's something to look out for in the future as people interpret the definition. Mm. And, and I think, you know, for us, I think at the very minimum, I don't know, I think we both agree that the concepts of minimalism, just like they existed at the beginning of time, will continue forever. Mm. It's but, just that the terminology will yeah, probably change. So yeah, whether people are going to be comfortable with the terminology yeah. moving forward. and Because of all the things that we mentioned yeah. with the judgment and the complexity of it and, and the pursuit of, you know. How extreme it's perceived yeah. and, and, and things and like that. Potentially unattainable because yeah. a lot of people think, well, I'm not reach to be able to be a minimalist yeah. you know so that's where um or i'm minimalist because i have no choice yeah of my circumstances yeah right? so, there's so that it's just how you on. how yeah. you see it but there are also a lot of terms like when we were preparing for this podcast that we started talking about well what are some of the other lifestyles or or terms that people use to describe um, minimalism just in a in a different way and how that is closely related to minimalism. So some of the the pathways of how a minimalist lifestyle can be brought up yes. is through, you know, slow living, intentionality, yes. essentialism, sustainable living, which is a big one for us as well. Yeah. Simple living and going small. Yeah. So those are some of the things that sort of popped into our minds when we were talking it's about like related. minimalism. They're like related terms and you know, while they all have slightly different definitions, they all sort of tie in to a similar type of uh, point of view uh, and a way of living. And um, some people might like use minimalism to live more slowly. Yeah. Like that's what we're doing now. Yeah. Like we wanted to, you know, remove clutter and, and uh, decisions and commitments from our life so we can... You have know, more intention. Yeah, escape to the country and slow down. Escape to the, um, <laughs> we've literally escaped to the country. We have escaped to the country. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I think it's 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 just like, okay, well, it, minimalism will continue to exist. If the terminology is not used, it might exist in, in other lifestyles or in, in people who are just living that way and not defining it for themselves. But we definitely think it has a future. And at the very least, I think the terminology will be used from its origins and that's in art and design yeah but it'll be really really interesting to see where this all goes yeah yeah no definitely all right i think that's a good place to wrap it up have you got anything else you want to add nope no well good well thanks so much for tuning in guys and we'd love to hear what you think of what uh, the future of minimalism is over on our website or on social media when we post this episode so we'll chat to you next week sounds good thanks guys bye bye Okay, episode 46 of the Minimalist Vegan Podcast, What's the Future of Minimalism? If you want to get access to some of the, the statistics that we shared, uh, particularly regarding, you know, debt and working from home and things of that nature, you can find all of that on our show notes, which is theminimalistvegan.com slash 046. That's theminimalistvegan.com slash 046. We'd love to hear from you. What do you think is the future of minimalism? Do you think it's got staying potential or is it just a trend? Let us know on Instagram, which is at The Minimalist Vegan, or you can always send us an email, which is info at theminimalistvegan.com. If you haven't already, we'd love your support to leave a rating or review for our podcast. From my understanding, it helps people uh, find our show and engage with our content. And uh, if you haven't already, share this podcast with a friend if you think it's going to be of value to them. We really appreciate your support and attention. We don't take it for granted. And here's to living with less stuff and more compassion. Chat to you next time. Peace.